This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the Weekend Mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. And this week, our special guest is both the deputy editor at JetsInsider.com and the executive producer of Play Like a Jet. And that, of course, is Mr. Alan Schechter. So let's jump right back into the mailbag, and we will start with the same person who left us off on part one of the mailbag. That is Mr. Michael Palace. And Michael asks, Scott, since you gave Joe Douglas the nickname Bam Bam based on his look and personality, what ECW, WCW, or WWF, WWE nickname would you give the following Jex players and coaches? Sam Darnold. I'm going to say he's late 1970s, early 1980s Bob Backlund because Backlund was your typical clean cut, never getting into trouble, awesome performer at all times, a little bit on the dull side. He was never going to exactly excite you with what he was going to say or the way that his personality flowed, but he went out there, he did his job, he was excellent night in, night out, and he always knew that he was one of the elite performers, and I think that that's really who Sam Darnold is going to be. He's not going to be some over-the-top personality or anything like that, but he's going to go out there and perform at an outstanding level week in, week out, and Bob Backlund, to me, is the perfect fit for Sam Darnold, if we're talking about comparisons between the wrestling world and pro football. Of course, I'm not talking about what Bob Backlund turned into when he came back in the early 1990s as the crazy Mr. Bob Backlund. I'm talking about classic 1970s, 1980s, all-American boy Bob Backlund. Robbie Anderson, to me, got to be our truth No question about it. The way that he talks right up that R-Truth alley with how he comes out to the ring rapping and always has some funny lines. That's Robbie Anderson, no question about it. Greg Williams has got to be Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, that's a given. That's a good one. Jamal Adams, I think you would have to say Roddy Roddy Piper just because of how over-the-top and boisterous he is. And Quinton Williams is that smiling white meat baby face. If I had to pick somebody that would fit into that category, I think I would say Ricky the Dragon Steamboat just because Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was also that pure good guy that never turned heel. Nobody could ever want to boo, and his performance was always outstanding. He wasn't super flashy in terms of talk or chat or any of that, but he just went out there and dazzled the crowds with his performance. Adam Gase is classy Freddie Blassie, calling everybody a pencil neck geek and being all upset and angry and the cantankerous old man. So those are the ones that I would say, and I'm going to be the only one to answer that because as we established, Chris and Alan don't know anything about wrestling. I was going to float you uh, a big, if you say so, Scott. next question comes in from rich feldman he says when johnson fired mac everyone moaned that gase had executed a power play isn't it entirely possible gase took a look around at what he walked into and said holy cow i can't be successful with this guy and actually did the right thing jets fans seem pretty happy right now yes and no I think that Gase obviously executed a power play and it was something that Jets fans should have been concerned about and still should because of the fact that somebody like him has done nothing to prove that he deserves that kind of power. And we'll see how much Joe Douglas is willing to push back. I'm not going to say that Joe Douglas is going to be Gase's puppet, but again, there is that element of I helped you get this job, so we'll see how far that gets Gase. As far as him taking a look around and going, oh no, what did I walk into? 
I'm sure there's an element of that, but I also think that obviously if he had wanted to, he could have tried to stick it out and make it work with Mike McCagnin, but he probably decided early on this guy's clueless or whatever it is he thought. He wanted to push him out and consolidate more power for himself by bringing in somebody that he was more comfortable with. So, yes, I think what you said has some merit to it, but there's definitely other factors at play here, and there were certainly reasons for Jets fans to be concerned and to continue to be concerned a little bit, even if getting rid of Mike McCagnum was the right thing. Yeah, this is a little bit of parsing of words, a little bit of getting the semantics back again, but it was viewed as a power play at first and a power play at, Gase controlling power over the organization, where what I've learned since then has been reported is it was really a lot of Gase didn't trust McCagnin and didn't like what he had seen from McCagnin and everything there, so he went to, but the whole process of going and getting McCagnin fired, driving him out of there, and then getting the guy that we all know he wanted right from the beginning, uh, and before McCagnin even got fired, again, I was telling you the name, Joe Douglas, he got that guy that he wanted. It, it can't be denied that that was a power play. How, how you want to look at it, it wasn't necessarily about him flexing his power over the entire organization, but to do that, to, to get the GM, old GM out and bring in your new one is, it, in fact, a power play. It, it it seems like he had it for at least the best intended reasons. So, but it, if he doesn't like what he sees out of Douglas, then you can see it blow up and be a mess uh, again too. Or if he just thinks Douglas is ending up getting too much credit for something, we could see a mess blowing up. It was definitely a power play, but it tended for better uh, reasoning than we at first anticipated or expected. There's no doubt that there was an element of a power play involved. It's too coincidental. It's like Chris said, this is the guy we knew he wanted before Mike McCagnan even left. So there's definitely a power. He may have had good intentions. He may have been part of the reason he pulled the power play is because he doesn't think he could win with this guy. I mean, granted, Gase hasn't really won with anybody yet, but we'll leave that for another another question. But um, whether he did it for the right reason, we'll find out. But there was definitely an element of a power play involved. I think the idea from the question might have more merit if he had just gotten McCagnin out and then they had picked some random GM to be the general manager. Then it would be, okay, he just wanted the guy out. It had nothing to do with a power play. But he got the guy he wanted. That's not a coincidence. Yeah, no question about it. I think there's a huge element to that. This was a pre-planned hit, as they say. And so whether or not this turns out to be the right thing, It was definitely a power play. I just can't see any way around that. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Rodimus Prime. He says, gentlemen, brownies with or without walnuts also are cannolis overrated. I believe they are. So as far as brownies, I love brownies regardless, but you got to give me brownies with walnuts if I have the choice. As far as cannolis, are they overrated? I guess it depends what we're comparing it to, but I will say the next time Matt Stiplikowski comes on the podcast, he's the one that we're going to have to ask because he downed a half dozen of them at Jets practice. So if anybody would be fit to answer a question about cannolis, it would be the cannoli king, Matt Stiplikowski. But I would say probably that cannolis are properly rated. They're neither under nor overrated. And as much as I love brownies, if you can throw a little walnut in there, I'm all for that. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I, I think Stipikowski's going to tell you they're definitely not overrated. <laughs> and I'm only basing that off that one day of watching him at his house those cannolis. So I don't, I don't know where they, where they're rated though. For I, I don't know how to say if they're overrated or underrated because I don't think feel like they're rated all that high. I, I like the cannoli every once in a while. I'll be like, oh, that's all right. But if, but I can't have one, more than one of those things. Those things are way too sweet. So I don't know where they're rated. Like to say if they're overrated or underrated. I will say no nuts in my wall and, and my brownies. I don't want any nuts in my brownies. I don't want any nuts in my candy and my chocolate bars. I don't want any nuts in any of that. I'm biting into something that's going to be sweet and soft, and and then you got this hard thing in the middle of it. That's just. Even if I know it's there, it still somehow surprises me. No, I'm good with that. You can you can keep your nuts. Uh, I'll eat them separately. They're good for you, I know. But keep them. I'm eating a brownie. I want to be unhealthy for a minute. They used to say sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Apparently, Chris Nimbley never feels like a nut. So keep your nuts out of his desserts. I know that sounded weird, but you know what I meant. <laughs> Alan, what do you think? Walnuts and brownies, yes or no? And cannolis, overrated or not? Brownies, absolutely not. I'm with you, Chris. If I wanted nuts, I'd have a box of planters. If I want chocolate, I want, I'm want. i going to have chocolate without any interruption from any nut in the middle. As far as cannolis go, I like a good cannoli. I think they're properly rated. But then again, it depends on what they're rated against because my my two uh, guilty pleasures dessert-wise would be a good cinnamon roll and a creme brulee. So if you put a cannoli against either of those two, cannoli gets it would be too far overrated for anything because I could inhale those so depends on the scenario nothing beats a black and white cookie gentlemen just keep that in that's mind. that's true all right all right jerry seinfeld hey listen you could agree or disagree with jerry seinfeld on that one but if you disagree with him then you're just wrong so that's just how that goes <laughs> Next question comes in from Gus Toon. He says, this is more of a question for the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. From what you've seen, which player or players do you think will get return duties and which of the lost players will have the biggest negative impact? I think what he's asking you is, which guy that left is going to leave the biggest hole? 
Also, Tomlinson was pretty darn good on special teams last season. How come people don't give him any credit for that? So, Chris, as he said, this is more of a question for you, but I will start by answering the Tomlinson question. I think it's because he had such a rough year blocking that people didn't really pay much attention to what he did on special teams. They just focused on his rough year blocking. But, Chris, I want to hear what you have to say about that and which players you think are going to handle the return duties based on what you've seen and which guy, from what you've seen early on, is going to leave the biggest hole as far as guys that departed the team after last season. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with uh, the Tomlinson thing. Number one, the easy answer there is people pay very little attention to the blocking and special teams units, the ins and outs of that, unless we're just talking about the guy actually returning the ball or the kicker slash punter. Uh, so that's the easy answer there. And then on top of it, we, we keep hearing about what a great blocking tight end he is. But the actual blocking as a tight end has been bad last year. And then he had a bunch of easy drops that he had. And that's going to always stand out way more than making a nice play on special teams. That's for sure. Um, As far as players that they lost really impacting them, I'm struggling to really think of anybody right now that, that they lost, that they're not. I mean, Morris Claiborne would help. That's for sure. To bring him back right now, I guess, would, would help that uh, secondary. But that's less about Morris Claiborne and more about just the current state of the quarterback situation they got there. As far as the returner goes, uh, you got to look at uh, Deontay Thompson, who they, they signed, and then the uh, the undrafted rookie receiver that they got, Greg Dortch. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that goes in training camp, mostly on I need to see Dorch's ability just to catch the ball and run up field with my own eyes a bunch before I can really start saying anything. You can say I can say that I've seen him. He's quick and he's fast and shifty, so I can understand how he could fit in that role. But I've seen a lot of players that are quick, fast, and shifty, but have a little bit of trouble with the catch part of it. So I'll need to see that in training camp or preseason. But I'd say right now that those two guys are are the favorites for the job and then worst case scenario and punt return situations you can get Jameson Crowder back there returning some punts hey guys Greg Peterson here with the baseball betting podcast as we know the MLB season is back in our lives it's going to be a 60 game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before and I'm going to be giving you picks every single day seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, with Joe Douglas coming to the Jets, do you think Jets and Eagles will start doing joint practices? Think it would be beneficial for the Jets because the Eagles are loaded and practicing against MVP caliber quarterback would be great each year. Also, why does it always seem like Albert Breer knows what's going on with the Jets? Why did the Jets give him all their inside info and Joe Douglas talks to him? Who do you think leaked to him that the Jets were interested in Ed Oliver and why would they leak that info? Do you think Douglas will ever come on play like a Jet and talk to you guys? So I should have said the next batch of questions comes in from Michael Christopher because that's a lot. So let's go one by one. With Joe Douglas coming in, do I think that the Jets and Eagles will have joint practices? Not this year. Could it happen next year? 
Yeah, why not? I mean, the Jets and Eagles are not super far away, so maybe he and Howie Roseman put their heads together and figure that it could be beneficial. They've done it with the Redskins, so I don't see why it's impossible for it to be done with the Eagles. As far as Albert Breer, he obviously has a lot of connections in the front office where he did with McCagnin and with Joe Douglas talking to him. Obviously, he's got connections there, too. The best answer I can give is that Albert Breer is a really good reporter who's very well connected around the league, and so he gets a lot of info. And I'm not just saying that because he's a former guest of the podcast. He's just been around a really long time and does an excellent job of cultivating sources and reporting. So he gets information. That's really all there is to that. Chris, I'm sure you'll have some insight because obviously reporting is much more your wheelhouse than mine. Who do we think leaked to him that the Jets were interested in Ed Oliver and why? I would suspect that it was somebody within the front office or the coaching staff that was trying to throw people off of the scent because it sounds like they had Quinn and Williams rated above Ed Oliver all along. And do we think that Joe Douglas will ever come on play like a Jet? I don't know. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. I actually have had a little bit of an interaction with Phil Savage, who's in that front office. So if I'm able to eventually land Phil Savage and he has a good time on the show, maybe I could get Bam Bam Douglas and get him to acknowledge that I'm the one that started the whole Bam Bam Douglas thing before somebody else like Manish Mehta gets credit for it. So those are my answers to that. Chris, I'll go one by one with you and then Alan with you as well, because I don't expect you to remember all of these questions. First, your thoughts on the potential of joint practice with the Eagles. Yeah, that would make all the sense in the world, close, uh, not even in the same conference. Um, so even without the Joe Douglas connection, that would make all the sense in the world. I'm not, I'd have to look into what the Dolphins did, if the Dolphins had any joint practices under Gase. I'm not sure about that. Um, so I'm not sure if he's a fan of that, what his feelings are there. Again, like you said, it's obviously not happening this year. But I, a joint practice with the Eagles makes a ton of sense with or without Joe Douglas here. I can see that, but it would largely depend on how Adam Gase feels about it. And especially in his first year, obviously he wasn't going to even consider that because he just wants to focus on get it, getting everything uh, straightened out and under his control here. So maybe we'll look forward to that in the future. Or I, I, you know, maybe I'll ask uh, Doug, uh, Gase about that at one day in training camp. Um, go ahead, go ahead and shoot me a text before practice starts one day to remind me to ask him that question because uh, the train camp's not for another month, so I'll probably forget by then. But that's a good question to ask him about for the future. Yeah, no question. I absolutely will shoot you a text, and I'm sure that we'll talk about it in one of our training camp reports this summer. I'll make sure to remind you so that we can discuss it there. Alan, what do you think about that one? Jets, Eagles, joint practices, your thoughts? Seems logical to me, you know, and it's good. It's always I like them in the sense that they give, give guys a chance to hit players that aren't guys they see every day. I just been maybe this is a prude. This is the prude side of me. My wife will tell you I'm a big one, but um, <laughs> the only thing I don't like the only thing I don't like about these joint practices is how they end up being the worst fights in training camp. They end up being these bench clearing brawls and it'll spill into the fan experience almost. To be fair, that but only they, happens with Terrell Pryor. But if they're going to do one, scheduling it with Philly makes sense. Alan, by the way, I should note that your wife Stacy texted me and she said she does not call you a prude. She called you a prune because you're an old man. Oh, okay. I should clear that up. Okay, good. (laughs) Next part of this was the question about Albert Breer. What are your thoughts on him as a reporter and why the Jets leak information to him? Chris, you go first. Well, I'll I'll do the part about uh, Ed Al- Oliver first. There, that I think was 
either from McCagnan directly or somebody that McCagnan probably had feedback to Breer because that that seemed obvious smokescreen right off the bat. They wanted people to get to think that they were focusing on Ed Oliver and then uh, let Quinn and Williams. They were just trying to play mind games and tricks around to not try to hide their clear infatuation with Quinn and Williams. So that either came from McCagnan or somebody close to him. Well, I'll say about Breer specifically and why it seems he has so many connections with the Jets. It's not just the Jets. Mm-hmm. Now, look, he's he's good with New England. He's good mm-hmm. with Philly. I don't know if I have too much with uh, Buffalo or the Giants there, uh, but it, that's a north. He's a northeast guy, and this is a northeast region we're talking about here. National reporters, every single one of them. Schefter, I don't, I don't know which teams he's closest with, but Schefter is closer with certain teams than he is with other teams. That's how national reporters work. Breer just happened. Uh, the reporter's job is to go pick up as many sources as possible. Breer has hit more on these Northeast teams. It, it's that's how it works. And he, again, he's a Northeast guy. He does come around. He, I've seen him at a couple practices here and there throughout seasons of training camp here and there. So he probably does a lot, focuses a lot more of his attention on these areas. But again, that he's a national guy, but that doesn't mean that he has sources spread out evenly across the league. It's very clear that he has more sources generated in this area than he does, you know, out west and down south. Next part of this was, do we think Joe Douglas will ever come on Play Like a Jet? What do you guys think? Alan, you're the executive producer of the show. Chris, you are a very frequent guest. Do you think that Bam Bam Douglas will ever grace us with his presence? No. Wow, (laughs) that was pretty harsh. Thanks a lot, Chris. I'm sorry. Yeah, really. The GM is not going to go and talk on something like this. The GM is going to only do the contractually obligated radio appearances on ESPN or WFEN that they're required to do. That's it. Maybe, maybe under this one condition, maybe if they win a Super Bowl, maybe he'll take a victory lap and start doing stuff like that. But a GM, what GM is out there doing a bunch of podcasts, fan podcast stuff, don't like to talk they don't they want to say as little as possible publicly that unless he's taking a victory lap i i can't see it happening it has nothing to do with you scott i take that personally and it's now my mission to prove you wrong so thank you all Chris. right take it personally you, you gave me another goal and i appreciate that just when people tell me that i can't do something i go ahead and do it you'll see chris nimbly you'll see i'll show you buddy i will get joe <laughs> douglas on this podcast Either that, or I will get somebody that's a really good Joe Douglas impersonator, and I will pretend that I got Joe Douglas on this podcast, one or the other. That's right. That's right, Scott. If we're going to get it done, if your executive producer has anything to say about it, we are going to get it done. Just despite him, we didn't say he's doing a bunch. He's doing our podcast, God darn it. (laughs) (laughs) Next question from Thomas Arnone says, on the coaching front, specifically with Vit Williams' relationship, if things did become toxic, would Bam Bam have the power to fire any of Gase's assistant coaches, or does Gase still have that power? Would they have to go to the owner for approval? I honestly don't know exactly how that's structured. I would think that Joe Douglas would probably have the final say, 
but because of the reporting structure, maybe they would need to take it to Christopher Johnson to decide. I'm sure that if Douglas was going to want to make a move like that, he would consult Gase and the two of them would have a spirited discussion about it. It could be that Christopher Johnson would have to be the deciding factor, but I would think that ultimately Joe Douglas wouldn't have signed on here if he didn't more or less have the final say, so to speak. Uh, and on top of all that, from everything that I've heard, why I understand the skepticism about it, I really do believe that they have put that behind them and passed them. And I don't see that being a problem in really any way, shape, or form. But if it does become a problem, I don't think Gase is going to go out of his way to protect either a whole fit, I guess. He would have to do a little bit more with a, a whole being stepson thing. Um or a, a, a son-in-law, sorry, I always get those mixed up. But um, so I don't think that Gase would do too much protecting there, though. And I, I, if it became a problem like that, I think that Christopher Johnson would do, put their foot down. But again, I, I really do believe that they have put their, their past and their promise behind them, and they're not going to really worry about that. These guys are so focused on their goal ahead and looking forward that I just don't see it really being a problem at all. As we know, anybody that asks about that is obviously a plant from the National Enquirer, like our good friend Father Flannel Daryl Slater. He apparently moonlights at the National Enquirer for asking that question. Alan, what do you think? I hope to God that it doesn't become a problem, because if it became a problem, it could be a really big problem really quickly. From everything we've heard, it sounds like they've buried the hatchet. And Chris, obviously, you're going to know more than the the two of us because you are a very big deal. You just go through the territory. So hopefully you're right because that could single-handedly break things up pretty quickly, I think. So fingers crossed on that one. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Jimmy Lehman. He says, what was Joe Douglas's ranking of Sam Darnold last year? How does he see him compared to the other QBs that were drafted in the first round? Would he have made the same move to get him? So let's start with this. None of us has any idea about any of that. The only thing that I can say is that from everything he said publicly and from what you hear privately, he's very high on Darnold. Where he had him ranked, I couldn't really tell you. What, whether or not he would have made that trade up, I don't know because like everybody else, he probably would have figured that if he was trading up to number three, there wasn't any chance he was going to get Darnold anyway. So the only thing I can really say is it sounds like Douglas was very high on Darnold and that's a big part of why he took this job. And he also believes very strongly in Darnold's potential to become a franchise quarterback. But as far as what number he ranked him with the quarterback class last year or whether or not he would have tried to move up to get him specifically, I don't think there's any way to know that without hooking Joe Douglas up to a lie detector. Yeah, and I don't know that they even did extensive uh, scouting into the quarterback class last year, Mm -hmm. especially at the top of it. I'm I'm sure they did some, of course, because the teams always do no matter what. 
Uh, but I don't think that they really spent too much time with it. As far as the trading up part of it goes, though, Douglas is, uh, he strikes me as somebody that would be aggressive for something like that. As he said in his introductory press conference, he said, the number one thing you need to have is a quarterback. Then you go to offensive and defensive lines. So if he was taking a job where the court, he didn't have a quarterback he believed in, I think he would do whatever it took to trade up to get a quarterback he he believes in. Uh, like you said, we, there's no way for us to know how he felt about him exactly going into the draft. But I can tell you from everything I've heard from sources and just from talking to him in that brief presser that we had with him, you could see he's a believer in Sam Darnold. He talked about building a roster once you have the quarterback and then being very aggressive, filling everything else out there, and not just because of the whole quarterback on a rookie contract thing, but you got the guy. You don't know how long everything's going to last around him. Go fill it out now. He said that specifically, and he he thinks Darnold is the guy. Of course, Darnold isn't at his peak of what he's going to be yet, but he thinks Darnold is that guy for the Jets. I can tell you that is a huge part of the reason why he took this job. And if Sam Darnold is here, he probably doesn't take the job at all, depending on who else it was that was here. I think I agree with all of that. He seems enamored with Sam Darnold, and why shouldn't he be? But as far as how he would have ranked him, I agree. Why would he have done extensive scouting in Carson Wentz there already? We'd never know unless we were inside that uh, that room to see his sheets and his big board. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Shane O. He says, your prediction for the first trade Douglas makes. So I'm going to give you one that I think there's a decent possibility could happen, although, again, this is all speculation. I'm just trying to throw stuff out there. And the other one is a long shot that could be interesting. So the first one is maybe they trade a fourth-round pick to Minnesota for Trey Waynes. We've heard that Waynes is on the block. Jets could obviously use an upgrade. Vikings could use some cap relief. He's got a decent cap hit for this year that the Jets could easily absorb. Still relatively young, so the Jets could re-sign him if he does well this year. Vikings get themselves a draft pick. I think that's something that could potentially work. As far as a bit of a long shot, I know the Ravens went to the playoffs last year, but their roster's kind of a mess. There's thought that they may begin to rebuild this year. If so, Jimmy Smith is a free agent at the end of the season. He's getting older in age, 30. He's pretty expensive. Joe Douglas is the one that really pounded the table for him. And he was one of the biggest reasons why the Ravens picked Jimmy Smith. So he obviously is very fond of him. So if Smith were to be made available, I think that Douglas could get in on that. Again, I don't know how likely it is that Smith gets traded, but if he does become available, absolutely, I think that Douglas will investigate the possibility. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think both those are good options. I think the, the clear favorite in this the clubhouse for this is uh, just a cornerback. Yes, he's mm-hmm. I don't think that he'll probably trade for his, uh, his first trade would be for somebody that big of a name, that big a uh, that uh, high caliber of the player. But I do see him trying to try to trade for a more mid-level cornerback at least or a younger guy with some upside. I could see that. Uh, what I will say is I'll, I'll go with if somebody on this roster that Joe Douglas might trade, and we talked about him briefly earlier, but 
And Nathan Shepard is somebody that comes to mind as somebody he could try to flip and maybe trade for a corner or for another position. Again, defensive lines, one of the deepest spots on this team. If he can flip somebody like Nathan Shepard for somebody that can help him on another position, I could see him doing that. I'm with Chris on this without naming a name because I don't think it'll be a prominent trade at this point, but I think he's going to look to make a move for a cornerback or if somebody with upside on the O-line becomes available, might make a small mid-level trade for an offensive lineman. But I don't think we're going to see anything that's going to open our eyes and go, wow, sorry, guys. Sorry, fans. Next question comes in from the House of Florham Park. He says, of the Joe Douglas hires, do you have any idea who the analytics guys are? Also, it seems that the deepest position groups for the Jets are defensive line and linebacker. Any chance the Jets try to flip one of them for an offensive lineman or corner if no upgrades shake out after camp cuts? So, Chris, you just mentioned a possibility. Nathan Shepard maybe being flipped for a corner. I'll let you expand upon that in a second. I have no idea who the analytics guy is. I know that the Ravens didn't have a quote-unquote analytics guy, although they did believe in evaluating everything. I don't think Chad Alexander is somebody that was tasked with analytics, although I know that he does believe in data. So I'm sure they've got somebody in the front office there that handles that, and Chris, you might know more than I would. As far as who they could flip, yeah, Shepard was a good one, Chris, you came up with. I think it also would have been possible that Darren Lee could have been flipped for a marginal corner, but he's gone now already. I'd have to look through the rest of the roster. I don't know how deep they are at most positions. I think Shepard or somebody like Foley Fadakasi, if anybody wants him, would probably be the most likely candidates. But if they did do that, I'm not really sure what level of defensive back they're really getting for either one of those guys. Yeah, those guys. And then, I mean, possibly maybe, you know, Frankie Louvu or Brandon Copeland. But I don't know what they could probably fetch something fairly decent, but also good players that can contribute. So I don't know. It's just like he's, he said in this question, those are the deepest positions right now, the uh, defensive line and linebacker. So it'd be, again, I think Nathan Shepard would probably be the most obvious uh, target there or name to consider there. As far as the analytics department, a lot of teams, they have like an analytics department and, uh, this is not something that typically gets broadcast. Um, so I I'd, I'd, I'd imagine that they're going to set up some type of a- analytics department if they're not just taking what it uh, was left from McCagnum. They did use some of that, uh, not as much as you would like in 2019, but I could see them setting up some type of stuff and you might hear something, but it's not something that's going to be breaking news. It, we're all late to this this party, even and even the people who are paying attention to it aren't necessarily diving in the weeds that much to find all that. So they'll have an analytics department. I'll look to see if I can, you know, once training camp starts, I'll look into that to see if they've set that up, who's running things, and see if I can find something along the lines there. I'm not going to jump into the analytics thing because I would have no idea. As far as the uh, trades are concerned, yeah, if anybody was going to flip, it would be from the defensive line and the linebackers. Maybe a Luvu or a Copeland type. But then again, I don't know if I want to lose what limited amount they give us off the edge. So as deep as those positions are, they're not a lot of really tradable pieces in terms of value. But if it's going to be anybody else's positions, it would be those two. 
Gentlemen, right. thank you so much for joining me on the Weekend Mailbag. Really appreciate it. We will do more questions next weekend for another Weekend Mailbag. In the meantime, you guys both write for the same website. So, Chris, why don't you talk all about where they can find your work and Alan's work. Of course, we know now that Alan is the very big deal sidekick. Yes, you can find my work in the very big deal sidekick's work at JetsInsider.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jets at Jets Insider and at C Nimbly. Alan, you have any parting thoughts? You want people to follow you on Twitter? Oh yeah, of course. My Twitter is at Alan underscore Schechter. That's S C H E C H T E R, and Alan is A L A N. So Alan underscore Schechter. Not Adam Schefter, just so everybody. Not knows. Adam Schefter, <laughs> as that once happened on a show. Oh, that's for another day. But no, not Adam Schefter. Go ahead and follow Chris and Alan on Twitter. Read their great work and, of course, Chris's very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. If you haven't done so already, please leave the show a five-star review on iTunes. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it really helps us out a lot because it increases our visibility through Google searches and iTunes searches. It makes it a lot easier for us to keep getting the great guests that you're accustomed to hearing on the show. So if you could go ahead and do that for us. It'd be much appreciated. And, of course, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.